This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. guys doing well? It's good to see you all. I'm very excited about uh, the baptism that we have today. Super blessed to see these people taking steps of faith and obedience to God in their faith. And every time we have a baptism, we always have a bunch of spiritual warfare that comes along with it. Because there hasn't been a, there's not a lot, a ton of stuff that God's like, I really want you to do this. (laughs) He's just like, receive my son, be baptized, partake of the elements of communion. That, you know, I mean, that's the, the gist of it. So whenever we take those steps of obedience to God, spiritually speaking, there's some pushback. So pray for those people who are getting baptized this morning. Bless them, and um, we're really encouraged. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be in Acts chapter 28 this morning. One of our guys will get you a Bible. Acts chapter 28, in conclusion of our Journey is Greater Than the Destination series. And the title of today's message is The Journey at the Destination. Because so often we have the destination in in view. We see where we're going. We know where we're going to. But sometimes we don't realize that that the destination itself is part of the journey too. It's a whole different element of the journey itself. Paul's going to find that out today as we look at the first verse in chapter 28, verse 16. Now when we came to Rome... Church with me say, we came to Rome. We came to Rome. We We arrived. We, We got to where we were supposed to be. And that's it, right? It's over. We're going to go on this simple journey, nice little boat ride, smooth sailing. We're going to get to Rome. I'm going to go before Caesar. Bada bing, bada bang. No problem. We're in Italy. But we're going to find out that this was just Actually, if you're taking notes this morning, the beginning of Paul's journey while he's in Italy. And we're not even really going to see the end. The journey at the destination and how it affected Paul and his response to it. We have had in the first message seven reasons why the journey is greater than the destination second service or second message seven reasons why the journey is greater than the destination last week we had four reasons why your journey is greater than the destination they they had escaped there there was the viper there was the healing the brethren were our four reasons why we don't have time to recap what those exactly mean but those were the four things that we wanted to consider last week and then this week we have four conclusions for your journey at the destination. Four conclusions for your journey when you come to the destination. And number one is, we came to Rome. So if you're a note taker, these things do fit together. We're going to look at that at the end of the service. On on your calendars and your seat backs in front of you, if you flip that over, there's a space to take notes. If you'd like to 
jot down that first point, I'd encourage you to do so. We came to Rome. Before we get any further into our text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that your desire is to engage us through the journey, that we can be confident in your purposes through the journey, that you look to not only press us and test us and bless us, but you look to produce something through us in the process of the journey. And sometimes for us, because we're just humans and we see things and we hear things, God, sometimes for us it's difficult to engage with you through the process of this journey of life. Looking forward to a destination, looking forward to an end, but not knowing the details through the middle. We want to say to you today that just like Paul did, we want to trust you and submit fully knowing that you're going to engage us through the process and that it's going to be good. Thank you so much for that blessed time of worship by our worship team that you've blessed us with, Lord. We pray that you bless the fruit of our lips as we sing to you. Father, we pray that you bless the, the fruit of the studying and application of your word as well that it would be a form of worship for us. And we pray, Lord, that the tithes and offerings that are given to you today, that you would bless and honor those things, God. That we would give to you the little of how much, how greatly you've taken care of and blessed us. Bless your word today, for it is blessed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We came to Rome. Now, I do some marriage counseling for people before they get married, and I don't know if you guys realize this, but when two people are in love, they become literally stupid. Scientifically speaking, that when you're in love with somebody, your brain has a chemical that prohibits you from thinking the way that you th should think and process through things. And I can tell when I'm sitting in a, a meeting with a premarital uh, counseling couple and they're looking at me. I can see the hollowness in their eyes, and they're not even listening to a word that I'm saying. <laughs> they are so in love that there's nothing that is going to come between them, and everything's going to be perfect. When the reality is, we think that when, you, when we get married, everything's going to be great, right? Everything's going to be perfect and wonderful, and that's how it happens. Can I get a testimony? How come nobody said a word? Like, not even a giggle. Everything's going to be perfect after you get married. That's the destination. As soon as that happens, then everything will start to come together. And I've gotten the phone call multiple times over the years, six months into a marriage, a year into a marriage. Hey, can we do that premarital thing again? Like, as marriage counseling? absolutely, I want to help you. The perspective is, if these things happen, if I can arrive at this place, then everything's going to be fine. When the reality is, sometimes even when you get to what you think is the destination, the process of the journey still needs to be played out in your life. And when we submit ourselves to that process and say, God, this is what you're doing, and I know that you're working through this process, then we are going to be able to engage him 
have understanding in that and be blessed through the trials, even the difficulty. Paul has just come from being tempest-tossed on the storm and in major trouble. They were afraid for their lives. They were shipwrecked. He was bitten by a viper. He, he, he was healed miraculously by God. He healed people on the island, which they were going to bypass. He got to share with people on the island. They're getting close to Rome. Now they arrive in Rome, and you think like, God, can things just start to settle down a little bit? I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but... I've never shared this with you guys before, and I really wanted to tell you the whole story, but if I did, it would take way, way, way too long. Grace and I had a similar situation in traveling to a destination, and God used this in our lives um, as a tool for learning, for application, and for helping us get through life. We were living in Europe at the time and we were traveling from Croatia up to Budapest to take a flight to fly back home. We had not been back to the States in three years. The last time my family saw Mila, my second born, she was six months. Now she was three and a half. They had never met Oliver, who was almost two now. We had three kids. It had almost, it's been over three years since we've been back. We didn't have any money to go back. And some dear friends of ours said, we want you to come back, visit your family, visit the churches, be encouraged, be blessed. We're going to buy the tickets for your family of five. So we were super blessed. We came back and that trip we still refer to as the trip from hell. It was absolutely 100% miserable. Grace at the time was eight and a half months pregnant with our fourth, and we had three littles in tote that we were taking with us. When we started to put the story together, Grace started to write it out as we were going, dialoguing through the whole process. And at the end, she, did, she couldn't finish writing it out, so we just ended up coming up with three pages of bullet points. So I can't get through three pages of bullet points with you this morning, but I want to give you a little glimpse and share a little insight about what God taught us through that process. We're leaving Croatia. Grace is eight and a half months pregnant. We're coming back here for a furlough. It'd been three years. Nobody met Oliver. We bought our tickets, or our friends got our tickets for us. We, we left split to go to Zagreb, the capital, in mid-December. We had to stop at the embassy and get him a passport to be able to fly back. That process for our previous two children took one day. We stopped in the embassy. We applied for the passport. We got the passport, and we left. This time we get there and they say the laws changed and it doesn't take, it takes longer than one day. Now you're looking at five to 10 days and I'm like, this, we have, don't, don't have five to 10 days. We got an airplane ticket in Hungary, please. They said, sorry, we still can't give it to you today. You're going to have to wait. So we're driving back to the house of some friends of ours in Zagreb where we're going to wait. And on the way there, Oliver starts throwing up all over the car, Right. I, I, I've even had to cut some stuff out to, to let you know. So the reason that we had a rental car is because our van blew up on the way up to this, the capital, and, and the tow truck brought us a rental car and took our car. We had three kids playing on the side of the freeway in the middle of Croatia for five hours waiting for this car. So finally, we get up there. Oliver starts throwing up. We get to the place where we're staying. We go to the embassy. They tell us it's going to take longer but they did end up helping us out. Within a couple days, we were able to get the passport and go up to uh, Vita, Hungary, to see some friends before we flew out of Budapest. And on the way, the train breaks down. There's a problem with the tracks. 
the, the train starts to fill with smoke. My wife is eight, eight and a half months pregnant. We've got three little kids with us. She's coughing because of the exhaust, and she starts to weep uncontrollably. And this is a buildup. I got to cut this short, okay? All of these things were happening. We're almost there. It's within sight. And they say, get off the train. We're going to have a bus take you back to the main, the main city. But we were close. We were 15, 20 minutes away. So they took us up to the bus stop on a road in the pitch dark in the middle of December and dropped us off at this bus stop where it was us, our three kids, and another couple and the Hungarian countryside, which I know that you don't know what that means, but let me just tell you, nothing. There's nothing. There's just fields. And at this point, we're thinking to ourselves, it's very possible that we are going to die tonight. Well, they'll find us, us and our three kids, huddled together, frozen to death in December in the Hungarian countryside. And I asked the guy next to me, I'm like, the guy that was with us, it was waiting at the stop. I said, do you have a phone? He said, yeah. I said, can I call my friend, please? He was nice enough to let me use it. I call my friend. Nobody's answering. I'm calling everybody at the Bible college. Nobody's answering me. It's a graduation night, and everybody's busy. Finally, after they leave, and we're standing there alone, crying, hoping that somebody's going to come rescue us, I get a, 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 this truck, this car, van's coming, and it's the director himself, and he comes and picks us up and says, hey, it's been a pretty busy night. I'm like, don't even talk to me about craziness and busyness. So we get in, we go to the, the, the Bible college, we're getting situated, taking the littles to the bathroom, and Mila locks herself in the bathroom, in the bathroom that is notorious for college students locking themselves in. We're like, we're never going to get her out. Some time goes by, finally, you know, we, we get her out. She comes out, we go to bed, we wake up the next morning, go to, to, to Budapest, uh, hang out with some friends in Budapest before we go to the airport. After the kids have been playing for a good portion of the day, the mom pulls us aside and says, hey, I have to talk to you. And we're like, okay, what's going on? She said, I wish that we would have known this earlier, but my daughter just went to the bathroom and she has worms and it's highly contagious. So you might want to check with the doctor when you, I know it's graphic, I'm sorry, but hey, trip from hell. So we're like, okay, we get, we, 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 the next morning, we, we almost miss our flight. We're the last ones on the plane. You know, my pregnant wife and three kids and me walk on. They waited to leave for us. And you, have you ever been that person before that an airline waits for you? Everybody's like, oh, here they are. And it's a little squad keeping us all here. So we're getting dirty looks and people don't like kids and whatever. And we sit down, we fly to the States. We get to the States. And I find out that my mom's cancer's returned at stage four, and I'm with her when she goes to the doctor, and, and they tell her how much time she probably has to live. And I'm like, man, Lord, what is going on? We stay here for a month or so, a month and a half, fly back to Croatia. I mean, that's it, right? It's over. The trip is done. Fly back to Croatia, get into our house. It's 11 o'clock at night, midnight, when we finally get home, open the door, walk inside, and our entire house, every surface in our entire apartment is covered in uh, mouse feces everywhere. I had rolled up a, a, a rug in the living room and laid it up against the wall, and they had gone up and colonized inside the, inside the, in, the middle of the rug, and they had just been going to the bathroom, to say it kindly, and it just all go down this big 
funnel, you know, that's a rug, and there is a, there's a, a pile around the outside of it. And here we are, newborn baby, four kids trying to get them to bed. There's poo on our pillows. There's poo under our blankets everywhere. We don't know any better. We're busting out the vacuum and Clorox and just trying to clean up as much as we can so we can go to bed. Three days later, I open the Croatian newspaper. I, I like to read the Croatian newspaper to help me with my language skills. I'm reading the Croatian newspaper, and about four hours away, an old guy just died from hantavirus. If you don't know what hantavirus is, it's in mouse feces. And do not, do not, do not ever, if you're worried or concerned about hantavirus, do not ever vacuum the poo up. Because all you're doing is putting it in the vacuum and blowing it into the air. And we thought at that point, another breakdown, we were just going to die. Like God was done with us. But by the grace of God, we survived to move back to Las Vegas. And you're asking me, why am I telling you this story? And this is why. Years later, we're processing it. We, could, we should write a book someday. I'll give you the bullet points if you want it. I cut a bunch of stuff out for time's sake. It was insane. And the question is, why would God allow us to go through all that stuff? And we even asked ourselves, thinking about it, like, why would God allow this? What was the purpose? What was the point? And yeah, there were people along the way that we met, that we ministered to. And yeah, there were people along the way that saw our lives and maybe it, it helped them or inspired them. And yeah, there was a big picture. But here's the, the real big picture of why I believe and we agree that that happened to us is because God was forging in us and in our family a character that he needed to forge to make us into who we are today. And the process is not easy and it may not be smooth sailing, but if you stick into engage God in the process, he's going to make you into a person that he can use to a greater degree than if you didn't go through those things. And I can still say today, God, thank you for taking me through that, those things and I can identify in my life a, a season and a time where I can fully engage and identify with Paul here. And I can say, God, we're submitted to you. We know that th these things are, are going to be a, a laugh in the future. And God wants you to understand that too. That as difficult as, as it seems right now, when you're engaging with him and desiring to be led by him and used by him, God is going to not only bless you in the long run, bring fruit from your life, but he's going to make you into a person that, that you couldn't be without it. And for me, that's a big deal. That's a huge blessing. Then look at the second part. Now, we came to Rome. That's our first point. We came to Rome. The centurion delivered the prisoners of the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Everybody else was put in prison. Paul was allowed to dwell by himself and had his own personal guard. Is that cool? God, through the process, takes us through different things. And when people see our lives are different, when people see we respond differently, they treat us different, differently. And sometimes it's for the bad. Sometimes they treat us worse, but sometimes they treat us better. Sometimes they say, you know what? This person, like the centurion, the, the soldiers want to kill all the people on the ship so that they don't uh, get away. And the centurion says, no, you're not killing any of them and you're not killing Paul. And he shows Paul favor. Here, unbelievers show Paul favor because they recognize the hand of God on his life. 
And the same is true for you. Maybe there will be those people who treat you worse, but God is going to make a provision to help you and to care for you. But one way or the other, you will be treated differently. Verse 17. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Now let's pause there at that comma for a second and look. That when Paul got to Rome, it says that it came to pass after three days. Paul knew that he was going to have these conversations with these people. Paul knew that God ordained him to engage these people and have these conversations. But there's no reason really to rush into anything and I believe, personally, I believe 100% that, that Paul took three days to get on his face and to seek God for what was going to happen while he's in Rome. A preparation, a sanctification. We don't have to rush into things, especially when we know we're on the right track in the journey. We need to seek God and set apart some time to, to seek him so that we can be fully prepared to engage when the time comes. So he sets aside this three days to talk to the leaders of the Jews in Rome. When, he come to, when they had come together, he said, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who when they had examined me, wanted to let me know because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appear to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. So the first thing he says to them, he says, I've been accused of crimes in, in Israel. They had no ground to, to keep me. They forced the Romans to keep me captive. And then when I found out that there was no way for me to get out of it, that the Jews were adamant about it, then I appealed to Caesar and, and this is the reason why I stand before you. But furthermore, verse 20, for this reason, say with me, for this reason. For this reason. For what reason? For a reason, for a purpose. And we can say, there's no reason for me to go through this. There's no purpose. But if you're connected to what God's will is, if you're connected to him in the process, then there is a reason when you arrive at the destination and God wants to engage you in the process, there's a reason for you to be in that place where he's called you to be. Therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because for the, because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. What's the long reason why Paul was there? Broad brush stroke. God wanted him to be there. He had a purpose for him in Rome and he was going to use him in that process. Big picture, Paul understood that and was willing to see what God was going to do through that. What's, what's a quick point that we can see that he speaks in the text right there? What's the reason, what's the purpose that he finds himself there? He says, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound in this chain. What was the reason that he finds himself in Rome? For the hope of Israel. And to a greater degree, we're going to see towards the end of the chapter, for the hope of the world. You church, brother and sister, when you go through the pain of the process of life, 
you have something that nobody else has in this world, and it's called the hope of God. You know, another way you can translate hope is expectation. What are you expecting from God in your life? If you're a naysayer, you say, I don't expect anything from, but bad from God. That's not hope. Hope is a good expectation of something that's not seen, but that, that, that you know that you trust in the, in the word of God and his promises that it's going to come to pass. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, if you'd like to turn there, you can, but we also have it on the screen. 1 Peter 3, 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who speaks, who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We, we hear that verse in theological circles as a, a verse supporting um, arguing for our faith or um, knowing what we believe. But in reality, the verse is speaking specifically about giving people a reason for the hope that you have because they don't have that hope. Guys, they don't have that hope. And we need to be ready, sanctifying God in our hearts to give a defense to everyone who asks for that reason of the hope that's within us not in pride and arrogance and eliteness, but in meekness and in fear. This is why I am responding to this situation the way that I am, because I have a hope in God and a trust in God. That hope is directed, directly connected to trust. That I say I believe him and I know his promises, just like this verse says, and he's going to bring it to, he's going to, bring it to pass He's going to bring it to completion. So if you ask yourself why you have to go through this part of the process or somebody else, you go through the difficulty, ask yourself this question, do you have hope? Because if you don't, you need to get to the place where you're either in your word or detailing why you should have hope in God in the promises that he's given you as his son and as his daughter. Let me ask you a question, and I don't want this to come across condescending whatsoever or give you a guilt trip, but how many of you, if you were asked by somebody, can give an account of why you have the hope that you have? I have this hope because I know my God. I have this hope because I'm, I'm willing, more than willing, to engage him in the process. And even though it's so difficult at times, not only do I have this hope that gets me through that we saw Paul and Luke have, but I have this hope that I can give others an answer. This is why my life looks different. This is why I'm responding in this situation, in this capacity. For this reason, Therefore, I've called for you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who reported or spoken any evil of you. This is miraculous. Paul was a top guy. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was in that, probably in the Sanhedrin. He was, the, he rubbed shoulders with the religious elite. And this guy walks away 
And he's fully expecting to get to Rome with them knowing what happened and to receive some kind of persecution from them. But it seems like they have no clue what he's talking about. And this is what the enemy wants to do with you guys today. He wants to get in your head and he wants to fill your head with all kinds of fears, all kinds of doubts, all kinds of things that quench the spirit of God. In the reality, none of it's going to come to pass whatsoever. He says, you need to worry about what you're going to do tomorrow. And God says, you let tomorrow worry about itself. He says, you're worthless. You're nothing. He says to you, God says to you today, you have value in the, in, when you identify with my son, Jesus Christ. And when I'm confident in the purpose of, of what God's called me to, then I have value in that calling. Not for my personal glorification, but for the glory of God. They didn't even know he was coming. But, that's a big but, and you know what I say every time I say that. I like big butts. Let that sink in. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. Here, they give him an open opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in their hearing. We haven't heard of it. We don't know what it is. All we know is that nobody agrees with what's being said. So, verse 23, when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and prophets from morning until evening. We have three words here that are identifiers that we need to take note of today. What was the three things that Paul did in sharing the gospel with these people? Number one, he, he explained. Number two, he solemnly testified. And number three, he persuaded. These are three different words. You have to look at three different ways he conveyed the gospel to them. So we have the definitions for you up on the screen. First of all, all three of these words are what? Verbs. What's a verb? It's an action word. Number one, explain. To make clear to someone by describing it in more detail or revealing relevant facts or ideas. What does it mean to explain the gospel? It means to give you the nuts and bolts. The explanation, Paul says, I, I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. The, the explanation of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, it says that he uh, solemnly testified. So there's a, it's even a greater form of testifying. He solemnly testifies. And the word testify means to give evidence as a witness in a law court. So this is, this is a big deal, you know. You're standing before, you got to give a solemn oath. But I like the second definition of testify in this context, and I see it applies to Paul and especially to us. Serve as evidence or proof of something's existing or being the case. Not only did he explain it, give the nuts and bolts of the gospel, talk about the sin issue, talk about the Messiah was coming, but then he applied it to his own life and, and said, but, and I'm the proof. This is my testimony. This is what God did to my life. And our testimonies are powerful witnessing tools of the might and power of God on our behalf. So as he says, he explained it. He gave the nuts and bolts. He, he used himself as a prime example, a testimony. He testified. 
that he himself was evidence or proof of this. And then the third one says he persuaded them. Here we see the passion of God for these people. Cause someone to do something through reasoning or argument. Number two, cause someone to believe something, especially after a sustained effort or convince. Number three, of a situation or event, provide a sound reason for someone to do something. This is linked to the verse in Romans where Paul says, I would, be, I would have uh, lost my salvation. I would have died that my brethren could know Jesus Christ is their Savior. Jesus Christ is Messiah. I would give my own life for that. So he, he explains it. He gives the details. This is the practicality of the gospel. He shows how it applies to his life. He, he testifies of it. And then he passionately tries to persuade them. And I have to think that should we look at our lives and how we convey the gospel to other people? And I have to ask myself, are these things evident or shown in my life? Is there an explanation of the nuts and bolts? Can I say this is the purpose and this is the reason? Do I go on to my testimony and say, look at how that's applied and how my life has changed because of it? I can tell you who I was before. You didn't want to know that guy. You didn't want to know that, Tim. And then persuade, you have this picture of, of a passion for people not to go to hell. A passion for people to know their creator. A passion for people to not be left in their sinful condition. And you take what's explained and you take what you've testified and, and you try with all you can to persuade them. But sometimes it's like we did our part, gave it our best shot, told them Jesus loved them and they said that he didn't, so whatever, it's on them. But we too can approach it like Paul does and, and go through this process of explaining, solemnly testifying and persuading. Verse 24, And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through the, the prophet Isaiah to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. Therefore... Let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. When he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. If you ever hear those words, the, the, their hearts were hardened, their ears were, were closed, their eyes were closed, do you ever ask yourself, God, please make sure that I have a heart to receive and ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing right now? I get scared, man, when I see people like that. Lord, may it not be for them, but may it not be for me as well the journey and the process. I don't want to be blinded to your purposes through it. I want to have understanding ears to hear, eyes to see, and a brain and heart to understand so that I can engage you in the process. 
Verse 30, we come to our last and final point. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. Say with me, with all confidence. With what? With all confidence. For how long? For two years. Did the journey just begin? He got to the destination, didn't he? But was the journey over? The journey was just getting started. And his response was, in all confidence, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. You see this open door that has miraculously been thrown open by God that he is confidently preaching the gospel and nobody's forbidding him. You see the, the, the great opportunity that through Paul's submission to God in the process of the journey, so many people get to hear the gospel and be saved. So many people's lives are affected by his desire to be part of the process that God has. I mean, if you take these four things and you put them together, I believe they do go, go together. We took these phrases right out of the text. We put them together. What we get is we came to Rome for this reason, explain, solemnly testify, and persuade with all confidence. This is the snapshot of Paul's journey at the end when he was in um, Rome. And it makes sense, doesn't it? You can take that and you can apply it to your own life. We came to Rome for this reason, explained, solemnly testified and persuaded with all confidence. We take that to our own life and our final ending thought for you to contemplate on and take to the rest for, take into your week. You're on this journey for a reason, to explain and testify and persuade in great confidence that God is good. He gives us hope and has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to be part of the process, then know this, that you're on the journey for a reason to explain, testify, and persuade in great confidence that God is good. He gives us hope and has saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beginning, the conclusion of this study through Acts chapter 27 and 28. We thank you for this perspective that you've given us through the life of Paul and the struggles that he went through. We know that we can identify with his struggles because we've been there too. We've been there in the, in the most ridiculous times of life and, and we hope to be, we want to be in a place where we're submitted to you in the process and we thank you for giving us this perspective. At the beginning of a new year, 2019, and we're going to experience some things that we've never experienced before. We're going to experience things that you have prepared for us to go through since the foundation of the earth was laid. And you've done that preparation, not in meanness of spirit or in, in hope of destruction, but you've done that preparation for a blessing and in the hope of the gospel of your son, Jesus. So God, we pray. Help us to have that right perspective. Bless your church as we go out in confidence this week to explain, to solemnly testify, and to persuade why 
we have this hope that we have within us. We love you. Thank you for your word. Bless these that are going to be baptized today. In Jesus' name we pray. 